I didn't realize when I became a dad, uh, and really until I became a dad of teenagers, the actual wonderfulness of dad jokes. I mean, talk about causing cringe. It's just fabulous. So if you don't know, I mean, amen, so the dad's in the room, right? But like, like, okay, come on. They're awesome. There were like lists of thousands of them. So you can pick and choose. Like how does the moon cut its hair? Eclipse it. <laughs> what does one wall say to the other wall? Meet you at the corner. <laughs> okay. Or, 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 or this is good, this is good. Why do seagulls fly over the ocean? If they flew over the bay, they'd be bagels. <laughs> I see that other people have used my good dad jokes before. <laughs> that it does become a thing where there's definitely cringe going on, and they, they worked when they were kids, but now that they're teenagers, it's like, Dad, Dad, Dad. It's still fun. Okay, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a wonderful book of wisdom for us, right? If you want to be in it and follow along as we're in chapter 7 today, it's right in the middle of the Bible. It's, it's after Psalms and Proverbs, but if you hit the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, you've gone too far. So unsettling, but really ultimately very reassuring. They're, they're sort of foundational, wise truths that come out that are compatible with and point us towards the gospel. We looked last week at one of them, how, you know, it's very true that, that, that life is a gift and God gives us stuff and we're to enjoy that. I'm not given stuff so that we can get beat up and like, oh, make sure we're maximizing everything. Now, God is the maximizer. He's actually in charge and we're the receivers. And having that mindset helps you with living life because, because we all get given gifts by God. And we looked at that last, last week. Today, today I want to discover and, and look at chapter 7 is understanding again and thinking through what is a, a life wisely lived? Because we struggle with that. I, I've got some answers, you know, that I've learned or that's been told to me, but I'd like to hear from this wisest of wise men about value and purpose and how my life should be structured and kind of some of the assumptions that I make. I mean, we have lots of ideas. Christians and not. Surely you've heard of the purpose-driven life. It's like, hey, I've got a purpose for my life. What is it? What would you say? What would you say as a believer? That sort of thing, right? I mean, these days, society's trying to, to use very, very similar type things that I learned. I, I, I learned, you know, there's a God in heaven and he's watching, so you want to live your life in light of that and think through things you can't see, but you should live in certain ways that are really smart. But now we have things you can't see that you should live for that, uh, I mean, climate change, where it's like, hey, you should, you should stop making certain emissions because it's going to be, you'll never see it necessarily, but it, it's going to be something that, that affects the world later on. So, so there's these pieces of wisdom for how you should live your life, your gas stove going away or using certain kind of cars. And this is for a greater purpose. A life that will help preserve the planet. And as a Christian, I go, no, well, I, I, I maybe could can be convinced that there's some wisdom in those things, but really my wisdom is I live life before God. I don't see him. And so it's, a, it's almost a similar little thing. I, you know, heaven's going to come, and my life now God's going to look at, so, so how should I live? That's a, that's a good question. And normally I answer that with a moral answer. 
the moral life. I should increase in my goodness. I should, should become more upright. I should start being a better person over the course and season of my life. So, let's go somewhere out there God's evaluating me. He's looking at what you've done. You stand before him. You start listing out the stuff you've done. What does this guy think about that? What does the wisest of men say? How does that work out? What is a good life? So there's really many schemes. The schemes are not necessarily negative, plans, ways that we kind of think about how we ought to live our lives. And, and this Koholeth, the preacher, has some very particular ideas about how that should work out. And that's chapter 7. So that's what we're going to look at. And chapter 7, verse 1, starts this way. It says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death better than the day of birth. Well, he kind of sets up with a statement of truth, right? Just lays it out there. Wisdom says this to you today, right? A good reputation is really, really good. And the day of death will be better than the day of birth because you will have lived a, a life well lived, right? It's like you started, you didn't know anything, but now you've had all this experience that you've gotten to have, all these things you've gotten to do, and then the day of death comes because you've now experienced all these things, A life well lived is a good life. Okay, I'll take that. The question is, what is it exactly, you know? How are we going to think about it? And that's the schemes part. So the first piece I want to look at with you is foolish and wise. He goes right into, and if you'll see in your Bible and take a look at this chapter, you'll see the first half is a poem. And it doesn't sound like a poem when we read it in English because it just sounds like he's talking. But he is in a lyrical, amazing way, talking about the wisdom of living life well. What is that? Okay, let's look. Verse 2, he says this. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Okay, let's continue. A sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. (laughs) What is he getting at? Why, Why are we in this book, Dax? What's that? No, because this is really important stuff for how we think about the foundations of our life. And first he looks at the fool, right? Because he points at that first, the way of the fool, because one of our schemes, our plans in coping with life, in fact, it's the first stage of the Kubler-Ross grief cycle, right? Something, something difficult happens. What do you do? Denial. It's not just a river in Egypt. It's actually something that we do with life, right? The first reactions when something bad happens, this idea a lot of us are, are in some sort of, wow, I don't necessarily like everything that's happening in my life. The first like direction we want to go is to just be denying it. And, and this guy, this amazing wise man, says there's no wisdom in denial. A fool spends his time in the house of mirth. It's like, hey, you just go laugh and you just go waste your life away? No, 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 that's not, that's not wise, Right? A fool skips a funeral because it conflicts with his party. You ought to be learning about what life's end is. 
A fool does his best to avoid thinking about sadness and distress. I'm just not going to think about it. No, it's a reality for everybody I know. If you haven't had something difficult happen in your life, you will. So you ought to think about that, right? Not avoid it. Now, if all you do is fill your life with joyous distractions, it's always a joke in response to something serious, well, life's really unpredictable. Contain sadness, and, and, and so you, you need to think through that, says this wise man. And the fool who goes to the club instead of the hospital, but, but ignoring problems don't make them go away. And one of the biggest problems we have is everybody in this room is slowly dying. Things aren't going like you want them to go. I mean... Not just that, i got fears, I have disappointments, I have marriages that are hard, I've got out-of-control kids, I, I don't have help at home, I've got troubles at work, and all these things that could hit us and it, they never seem to go away. And sometimes I think that acknowledging that as Christians, we don't feel like we should. Like we think denial is an option. Oh no, everything's going great. How are you? I'm fine. You, we, I think, are afraid maybe we'll be a bad witness. To actually say, you know, I don't like this, I, uh, but the opposite is true, says this wise man. I, I actually think people are afraid to come to church sometimes with sickness and difficulty because we won't talk about fears and sin and disappointments and failures. And so we, we just choose like to spin stuff all the time. Like life is Facebook, right? And this man says, no, it's foolish to live in denial. It's like the crackling of thorns, he says, under a pot, means that it's just about to go away. It, it, it's just being consumed. It's just making noises that mean nothing. So it's, it's wiser. It's better to live in reality. So, so there's this evil world, and our surroundings are not perfection, and we can't control them, and death is coming for you and me, and as a scheme, as a way to live, denial is not sustainable or helpful. You're going to suffer and die. Acting like death doesn't matter or sorrow doesn't happen just makes you foolish. It doesn't mean your life has lived well. Okay, so that's him kind of taking an axe to that whole thing, right? This first scheme, denial, it doesn't work. It's not wise. It's foolish. And so when you're looking at life and you're seeing it closely and you're looking at sorrow and difficulty and mourning and you're being real, this is wise. Be real. Okay, so how, how does that help me, though, Dex? How does that practically live my life? Say, so, okay, I'm going to be real. I'm going to be uh, acknowledging when hard things happen. I'm going to go into that. That's wisdom is to go there. But what do I do with that, you know? And because the thing I'm, I'm tempted to do always is try and control it and improve my life and my circumstances if I can Right? So a wise life would use power, that's work and effort, and manipulation, that's control, to move your circumstances towards meaning and value and, and purpose. This is a logical thing, right, to just think it through. But even that scheme has problems, says the preacher. That's verse 7. Here we are. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be wise. I'm going to be clinical about life. I'm, I'm not going to be detached. And, 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 and oppression, it says, drives the wise into madness. We can't make sense of how bad people oppress good people, how fools win. 
So when I say, okay, I'm going to be all logical, I'm going to make my life have meaning, I'm going to control my circumstances, I'm going to do all I can to make my life do what I want it to do, and then it doesn't do it. Like oppression happens and people with power push on me. Here I am, you know, oppression happens and it drives me mad because it shouldn't. God, what are you doing? Or, or, or even, I think, well, I can bribe, but I start to like things and, and manipulate things, but then my heart gets caught in them. I don't have a pure heart. This idea isn't working that well. Better is an end of a thing than the oh be not did I do that? Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Okay, okay, so the idea is maybe I should stop thinking I can control. Man, I get driven mad when I try and manipulate things. But but being patient is good. Just endure. Resignation is better than thinking I can do something. But when I just endure, well, I mean, think about that in reality, right? I'm just going to be kind of stoic. There was a whole philosophy that went this way. It said, you just, life just happens and you just endure it. That's all you got. And then you die. It said, when I do that, it actually doesn't work very well for me because I start to get angry. The injustice is around especially towards me. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges in the heart of fools. Well, okay, I shouldn't be angry, angry either. Well, at least we can go back to what like we used to do. That would be helpful to say, you, you know the good old days when, when all this stuff that's happening now that's bad wasn't happening. Can we just turn back the clock and go? And he says something about that too. Say not, why were the former times better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. You can't go back. Ever. There's no wisdom there in getting rid of current conditions and going back to a better time and notwithstanding the Amish. He's cutting off different avenues that we would normally try and find a solution to how to cope with life. Maybe you're like, I don't have any trouble coping with life. I said, well, yeah, you do. You're just not looking at it. Everybody struggles. I said, what wedding yesterday? It was a neat wedding. I was joking with somebody. It's a guy I don't think had done very many. He forgot to let people sit down. So like we stood for half an hour as he gave his spiel about being a, 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 a married. And, but he did a really good job with it. But one of his main questions he said, put out there, he said, okay, you ever see those dances where it's like everybody who's married start dancing? And so everyone starts dancing. It's okay, if you've been married for less than five years, take a seat. 10 years, take a seat. 15 years, he got up to 40 years till he finally got, somebody was like, oh, only one couple left. Like, isn't that cool? Married for 40 years. It's a long time. And he says, but, but is that really worth it? Like, what I want to do, he says, is sit that couple down and ask them a question. How was the 40 years? Because I want them to have not, like, like was it 40 years of struggle and hardship and we barely stayed married for the kids or something? Like, or was it like good years? And it's like, this is valuable and good. Like, it's not, it's not enough just to be married. That's us, our thinking, right? It's not just enough to have lived life and experiences bad and good that go with it. I want to have, I want to, I want, I want to have progress towards how you having a life that's been sweet and awesome for me. I want to find the wisdom that gets me there. That's what this guy's talking about. 
We can't get away from these feelings of it's not just about living life. It's not just about praise God that he has gifted me and I get to enjoy. It's about I think I need to have progressed and, and had a certain kind of life. And he's kind of cutting off the ways that I normally would think about handling that. I mean, avoiding foolish things, along with having a little money, is, is that a life well lived? I mean, he, go, he goes there a little bit. Wisdom is good with an inheritance. An advantage to those who see the sun. Wisdom is a good thing, you know, it, it, it helps protect you like money protects you. How does money protect you? Well, you have the opportunity, you know, if you get sick and go to the doctor, you have, if, if misfortune befalls you, a, a little money is helpful to, to get some help out of that. So is wisdom, he says. So is looking at these things and in your heart treasuring that there's a ton of dead ends in life. For the protection of wisdom, it's literally the shade of wisdom. It's like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So wisdom is actually good at preserving life, like a buffer, like money. It lets you relax a little, not so, so worried. You have no ability to control stuff. And if you in your heart know it, it's, it's like the relaxing you can do of, I am on a ride. God is in charge. He will take me where I'm supposed to go. There's like life preserving in that. I don't, I don't toss and turn every moment at night. Did I do it right or not? So no matter how successful you are, life is unpredictable. Death is inevitable. Nothing we do, no matter how much we control, can fix what is broken. God's going to have to. So a little money, which is the answer to a lot of what the world wants, a little wisdom to keep you from taking dumb steps, that, maybe that is a, a blessed life. What do you think? I mean, it's, it's in... A, godliness, which in the context of Timothy is Jesus himself, Jesus plus contentment is great gain. Knowing us, you know, knowing this, lets us rest. Look, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he's made crooked? I think the answer to many of us, especially in our society, if you just take the world and, and we're part of the world, so we're going, you know who can make straight what God has made crooked? Me. I can fix stuff. I can make stuff right. If we get society together, we get all the things together, we try and do all these things, we'll make things better. Uh, maybe. Or maybe you don't have that power. Maybe it takes God himself. Right? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Okay, I, I, I get it, and I, I hope you walk with me through, you know what, oh yeah, uh, prosperity, I get it, but normally I think, God, he gifted me, I have a, a great day, I have something wonderful that's happened, but when something difficult happens, I go, well, that's not God, he would never give me something difficult, so I, I put these filters on us, where who's the center of the universe? Me. And he said, well, no, wait a minute, God makes them both. He's actually in charge of both. And you should consider that, but why does God do it? And again, my answer usually is, he's trying to get me to be a better person. 
He's trying to move me along the spectrum of Dax being bad to Dax being good. And, and so my scheme is this advancement. But this man says the reason is because so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. You're supposed to be in a spot of dependence. I'm pausing there for a second because I don't like it. I think the answer God should give me is I should have strength and ability. And, and that should be with Jesus as my helper, with the Holy Spirit as my guide. I will be a person who advances and builds and makes and does for God. And this guy looks at it from a little different perspective and says, no, I mean, actually, you're really small. You, you don't have a lot of power. And good things and bad things come both from God and you know what? He does that so that you're really actually dependent on him all the time. You don't even know what's going to come tomorrow. Boy, what a truth, huh? I don't know what's coming tomorrow. Okay. I, I kind of can hold on to that. And so far, this is where we are. The wisdom that he said is that it's a fantastic thing to have a good reputation and a, a life lived well. It's, it's better to get through than to try and manipulate and control because we actually don't have much control. But isn't there something kind of big that we're missing? What would that be? Well, like I said earlier, it's kind of equivalent to the idea of there's something you can't see out there that, 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 that you're trying to affect later on. That would be the climate change thing. You know, isn't it good, even though you can't see it, even though it doesn't happen in your life, even though all these things, you're going to live a certain way because you think it's going to be valuable in the future for future generations if you don't use so much carbon dioxide. You know, it's 0.04% of the atmosphere, but you, and you can change 0.00001% of it. But there's a goal. For the Christian... That kind of goal is, isn't there God watching far away? I can't see him. Right? I, I, you can't talk about having lived a good life without talking about morality. A wise life is a life lived in increasing righteousness. God sees it. It's good to do. It will go well for you eventually. If not now, then in heaven. This is your motivating factor is you will have a positive effect on later and will have lived a good life. And that's put before you and me. That's something we should do. So it's got to be talked about and we're going to look at it with him, this moral and immoral for a life well lived. Because... Because the guy under the sun here who's talking to you, the preacher, not me, I'm, I'm just looking at the text and going, he's a realist, he's not an escapist. He's, he's kind of saying, you know, there's a lot of cold, dark, and meaningless around here. The only thing it tells you is life is unfair, the past is inexplainable, the present is unreasonable, the future is unpredictable, people are unreliable, death is inevitable, denial is not an option, and I want to finish well. Woo! So, okay, <laughs> okay. What should we do here? And I think, well, I know one thing I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be a good person. I mean, it was my dad. I loved my dad. It's so amazing. He's been with the Lord for several years now. But he'd always say towards the end, he'd say, Dax, be good. Love it. What does that mean? 
So I plan, I scheme for that. I start to think, well, I find value in me and my morality. This is a huge area where we make actions towards a goal. And having heard that at funerals, he was a good man. He did these things, and they summarize. So it's good that he was born because of the things that he accomplished, and then he died. That kind of thinking. That's the scheme, you know, grow in goodness, leave a good example. That's the value. And so this is what he says about that. In my vain life, he says in verse 15, I have seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. There's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Okay, so practically speaking, he says, righteousness, right living can't be the end all because I see things happen that don't, that don't make sense. I mean, maybe in some hidden in the sky, but in God present here, and you think God's active in our world, and you see evil people get ahead and good people die... It doesn't seem to be working, and this is where that observation leads, right? Be not overly righteous. This is wisdom talking. Do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Okay, avoid extremes. So neither acting rightly nor understanding deeply is a practical cure-all. There's good acting people who die. Deeply understanding people are driven mad. It's like this idea of, of, wait a minute, how do you think of yourself? What are you after? I know how dumb it is to go after foolishness. But do you realize that it can also be dumb to go after increasing self-righteousness? Like your own goodness? Right? I mean, it is good that you should take hold of this. I mean, he's saying, make sure you listen. And from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wait. Wait, he's losing me. Why, why is he losing me? Like, get it with the fool. You come out from being a fool because that's not helpful in your, in, in your walk with fearing God, with, with living life under the sun. But how is, how is the other, if you're focused on wisdom, if you're focused on righteousness and, and getting better and doing those things, and that's where your heart is because you're, you're working at it with your life, I, I, he's saying the one who fears God comes out from that. That's not what I was told when I was a kid. Uh, Now we've talked a lot about wisdom, but isn't this the mandate for humanity of right acting, righteousness? Shouldn't wisdom reinforce righteousness? Here, child, you want my wisdom? Be good. I mean, it's really good to have wisdom. Uh, Wisdom gives strength to the wise man. More than 10 rulers are in this city. This guides your life, this deep wisdom about how you should live. Listen to me and his wisdom because he's going to say something really heavy. Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. 
Yeah. Solomon saw too, right? Moral goodness? Pipe dream. Who do you think you are? I mean, it was echoed in the psalm that we read, Psalm 14, which, by the way, one of the only psalms in the Bible. You should check this out. You can go through the psalms. Go through psalms and just find another psalm that sounds like Psalm 14. Oh, wait. There's one that's almost word for word exactly the same. Typo? Psalm 53. So read Psalm 14 and then go read Psalm 53. It's the same psalm! Why does he got to have it in there twice? Because we won't take it in. We won't. Take, we hear Romans 3 now. We're, we're gospel people. We say, there's no one righteous, no, not one. And he's quoting these Old Testament passages. And here's Solomon saying, you know what? There's no righteous people. Said, but I'm giving my life to make sure I'm more and more and more righteous. Yeah, that's a pipe dream. Why? Because you aren't. It doesn't happen. That's what he's talking about, right? I mean, it's not just for other people. It's for you. You can't trust what other people say about you or even what you say about other people. <laughs> Look, verse 21. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Yeah, just, if you... I wonder what people are saying about me. You hear them say, the reality, how bad you are. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. Your heart knows that many times, though, you yourself have cursed others. <laughs> you go right into that, don't you? We're judgers. Here's what he's saying, if you're following this. The way of the moral path, your best bet is to ignore the bad things people say about you so you can continue to think that you're better than you are. That's stupid. But that's how we act. I'm going to get around people who just say good things about me. Because that's what I want to hear. You know what? You're just as guilty as your worst enemy. So, so looking for wisdom, and this is a plan. What, what, what's the wisdom we're looking for again? We're looking for the wisdom of, of living a good life, of having a good reputation, and we're looking at it as, is it about making sure that I do good things? And I, and I move that way. And, and that's what he's testing. He said, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who, who can find it out? He looked hard at this scheme, this plan. He found it lacking. He's not just outward behavior. This is a very wise man. He's looking at motivations. He sees the nuances. It's not just what people say, but what the truth is. And the truth is we all have evil in our hearts. Well, I'll just scrub that out. No, it doesn't work. Nobody actually is wise in this way, not by exercise of their will in skillful living. There's lots of Bible examples. Take Jonah. Jonah's a good guy, right? But by the end of chapter 2, the righteousness of the pagans is more than Jonah's idols around himself. He's a prophet of God. He can't get away from his own wrongness. Remember Jesus telling this parable. Luke 15, right? It's an amazing parable of the prodigal son, and he's so bad. But by the end of the parable, the guy who was good at home, the elder brother, is the one you're kind of going like, yeah, I think he's got a problem. Because he does. Who has a problem? Everybody. Everybody's got a problem. 
with righteousness. Our sin runs deep with, with, that's the point. Motivation ruins action. No one is righteous because goodness goes to the heart. Pursuing righteousness as a scheme doesn't work. Okay. What about the other than forget it? I'm just going off and doing my own thing. So he says that. He says, I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. Maybe I can find something in knowing folly and foolish madness. Just give up, live without any boundaries. And I find something more bitter than death. Well, this is interesting. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. Finally, he sees the truth. Evil women. No, I'm joking. He's not saying that. Let me tell you what he's saying, right? So, so make sure you see it. He's saying, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. <laughs> what? He's saying this, lust traps you, snares and nets and fetters, it's not a way out. Sinners are entangled in more and more sin. Solomon knows all about that. He had over a thousand wives. Not helpful, he says, as he enters into it, but his counsel is this. He says, behold, this is what I found. Right? Says the preacher while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, to find, to find the answers for a life well lived. And maybe it's in a spouse, maybe it's in my soulmate, maybe it's someone else who can help me. And, and, but this is what I found, he says, while I look and I evaluate a lot of people and I've had a lot of relationships, which my soul has sought repeatedly. I haven't found one man among a thousand I've found, but a woman among all these I haven't found. This is not him being a misogynist. This is him saying, I'm, I, I can self-justify myself. I'm a man. I'm the one among a thousand. Look at me. I've got wisdom. I can't find anyone else. If your hope's going to be in finding someone else that'll help you along the path to righteousness, that'll help you be the steadfast person, the person that won't have any sin, they can just be for you. You look and you find, and you go through person and person and person and person, and you look for the best relationship you can. You look for the righteous one. You look for the solid one. You look for the one that's good, the one among a thousand. You won't find it. And if you're a man, you won't find a woman that way. And if you're a woman, you won't find a man that way. You can't find a mate. Why not? Because they don't exist. That's what he's saying, right? See, unless you think he's just about women, see this alone I found. God made man upright, but they've sought out many schemes. This is, this is our problem. All of us are rebels at some level where some are something sick in all of us that comes alive when we, we buck authority. And there's Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, the gravity towards autonomy. Our way is better, more valid, superior. It, it shows up when we don't get our way. And, and, and I, think, I think I'm going to work towards being good, but my good is always focused on me. I can't get away from it. I'm going to help the little lady across the street, but when I do that, I pat myself on the back. I'm going to do something good for somebody, but when I do, I, I feel like I get a little charge out of it. I don't, I don't do it totally anonymously because I can't. My left hand always knows what my right hand's doing. And Jesus Christ says on the Sermon on the Mount, that's a problem for you. And Solomon, in the Old Testament, a thousand years before Jesus, he says, yeah, it's a problem. 
The world says your greatest problem is outside of you and the solution is inside of you. But Christianity says the greatest problem is inside of you and the only solution is outside of you. This is the gospel. So this is the deal today. When we talk about many schemes, is the wisest man ever is looking at life and going, I have some thoughts about why you're living as you are to get a valuable, meaningful life out of this time under the sun that you have. He says, and it, it can't be that you're living for something that you can never see and you somehow are just adding that into your system of advancing yourself. It doesn't work, he says. You shouldn't deny you shouldn't act like, like life isn't hard. You shouldn't close your eyes and just smile and party. No, you should see sadness, but you should let that affect you with who God is. And as we do, we see there's really no hope in our advancing ourselves. That's Ecclesiastes. The gospel contrasts a different way from the outside, right? This is our, our amazing wonder of Jesus who came to earth. If I pursue righteousness, I won't get it. Because righteousness isn't for me. I'm not righteous. If I try and shape and control the world, I can't do it. I'm driven in it to, by seeing, by wisdom, if I'll look at Ecclesiastes, to be smaller and smaller, more humble and, 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 and tiny, because, because it's true that God made man upright, but we've, we've turned away. Many schemes. And so the person who came and took that on himself, all the schemes that you do, all the ways that you try and be self-righteous, all the ways that you try and live your life to have personal meaning, all of that stuff he took and he put on his own shoulders and he died on the cross. This is our hope, right? Jesus came and he took upon himself that curse of meaninglessness that we can't do anything that we're on our own unable to save ourselves and rescue ourselves and, 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 and attain a good life by our effort at existence. And he said there's another way. If you would just transfer your trust, that it's going to be okay to him. We had a man who came perfectly. The one in a thousand, right? The real one in a thousand. The one in a trillion. The one who never, ever sinned. And he came to earth and he lived a perfect life and he died for you and me. And he says, hey, if you'll trust me, you're forgiven. Not improved. Not now made to be especially good and shine like an angel. But to actually continue to point to who the hope is. Jesus Christ alone. He is our firm foundation. And this is what it says. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, that means not through a good life lived. Not by your wisdom, not by your righteousness, but just through Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, it says, delivered us from the domain of darkness. Our own places where we're unwisely not living well. And he transferred us to the kingdom. Not the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of his beloved son. That's what God does. We're in a new kingdom. We have hope and joy. Not in my life being schemed rightly to get to where I want it to be. But in the reality that I sometimes am happy. I sometimes am sad. I'm dealing with life every single day. But woven through it is the wonder of I'm forgiven now and forever by Jesus.
Hey, don't you want that? That it's all Jesus for you? Or do you want to say, no, no, no. Jesus is for my conversion. Like, yeah, Jesus did it. And now it's up to me to live a good life. Good luck with that, buddy. It's not going to work. It's like a really bad dad joke. It just makes you cringe. Because at the end of the day, our hope all the way through is the forgiveness of Christ for us. It's fabulous. And it's ours.